Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. There are many words to describe Christians, uh, but perhaps one that often doesn't come to mind first is that of joyful. And I don't know if that's your experience, but often in mine, I I know people that I, I do believe passionately want to follow Christ, and yet they seem to do a lot of grumbling. And the word that I would, wouldn't describe them is joyful to start, and maybe not even the second or third word down my list. We are often, as people, quick to groan and grunt our way through life. And yet each year we're reminded that joy is a pillar in this season of Advent. The pillars of Advent are heavily intertwined, with hope and faith being natural stepping stones toward joy and peace. The pillars are also intricately woven throughout the Christmas story. Joy in particular abounds in a number of places as we read about the very first Christmas and the events that happened leading up to it. There's great joy for Elizabeth and Zachariah at the birth of their son, John. There's the joy of the Magi experience that we read this morning at finally reaching the end of their long journey to see what lay under this bright star that they have followed for such distances. Then there is the joy that angels shared with the shepherds in proclaiming the news that indeed the Messiah had come. Still, joy can feel a bit distant as we look at it today. It feels like some abstract, optimistic view on life. When I consider joy, especially in the context of today, where it seems hardship and injustice continue to steadily increase as a pandemic rages on, and many remain homeless, and the world turmoil just dominates the news headlines, it seems like, every week. I wonder where joy fits in with this. And the question begs, why joy? How do we find joy? We've all felt happy, but is that joy? What does joy look like? And maybe, most importantly, why does God care about joy? This morning, we've heard the remarkable story in Luke 2 of the shepherds who are among the first to meet Jesus, and these shepherds' actions following. We start our story in verse 8. Shepherds were living out in the fields nearby, watching their flocks. Now, I like to camp. I like the outdoors. But in my opinion, living in the fields doesn't sound like a cakewalk. Sounds like a, a hard life. A shepherd's life at the time in history, and to be honest, likely still today in many countries, It's a life full of ups and downs, both literally from traveling over the hilly countryside, leading your flocks to various new pastures. I'm sure they had to go up and down, but also in terms of good and bad days, much like we ourselves have good and bad days. Their days might have had where sheep get lost or their sheep are eaten or the caravan is attacked by thieves on the road or a contingent of cruel Roman soldiers. Or they might have days where they take a portion of their flock to sail at some great city and they receive a good price for their fat and sheep. They have a great celebration and a great feast outside. There's good and there's bad. But even on the best days, a shepherd at this point in history knows the story of who they are and where they came from. These people would know that the reality is they're being unjustly ruled over by the Romans. As Jordan spoke about last week, about faith, he gave us a good overview of the context of God's people at this time. These shepherds would know and perhaps have witnessed the temple and its desecration by General Pompey. They would recognize that their 
life is hard. And they look to the scripture and most believe a new mighty ruler will arise soon, a great warrior that will lead rebellion and overthrow these Romans. God's people at this point are longing for a Messiah. Now, the shepherds are about to experience this great joy. They don't know it yet, but in the midst of their lives that are often filled with these great hardships, there will be a great light. And in fact, just as with the shepherds, each example of joy in the Christmas story, it has the opposite of joy shown prior to that. Elizabeth and Zachariah are overjoyed at the gift of a baby. And I believe that any baby is a source of joy, as most of us will have found. But specifically, they know the truth of not being able to have a baby. The sure longing and heartache and all the seemingly unanswered prayers of this older barren woman makes the birth of this baby boy all the more life-giving and joyful. The treacherous long journey of the Magi following the star, as we heard from Matthew in our call to worship this morning, they don't really have any certain knowledge of when or how or if their trip is going to end. And it surely would have left these men all the more joy-filled at the sight of the birth of a baby who'd come to save the very broken world that they've just traveled through. They recognize how, how broken the world is. They had to go through this hard journey to get there. Living at this time is to know the depravity that the world is broken and it's unjust. And some no longer would even put stock in the idea that a Messiah will come save them. They've kind of given up, I'm sure. But some still have hope and faith, and we heard about Simeon last week and his faith in God's plan and what was to come. So this is the context of the shepherds. They're minding their flock near Bethlehem, likely in the region, due in part to the census, the same reason that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, the city of David. They're probably like, great, we've got to take our sheep over there. There's probably tons of people in the area. We're not going to get a good spot to graze our flock, but we have to go there to sign up. And so they're probably already grumbling at this point. They live in a place and a time where they know hardship. Knowing the reality of brokenness takes a toll on us as people. It's hard to get up every morning and contemplate the ways in which this world does not work. In our world today, we see a host of anxiety and depression among people. And I'm sure these shepherds in the field felt this despair on many days. You know, you get up and it's cold and The sheep have already, a couple of them have wandered off, and there's not maybe enough food to go around, and the fire went out in the night, and there's all these reasons. And how can one feel joy in this hardship? How long will this go on is the question that they would ask. And it's the question of God's people again and again and again, and even now throughout the course of history. We feel this same heaviness looking out at the world today, the horrors of war, the fear of sickness, the tragedies of children taken from this world long before they should be, the injustice of a housing crisis, the inequality between different neighborhoods within our very city. How long, O Lord, is the question. So where is joy in all this? Joy comes with the angel's message, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. Joy is the response to darkness. The joy is the knowledge, the truth of Jesus. For the shepherds, joy is the arrival of the Messiah, a nation has been hoping and praying for. I already mentioned briefly that joy comes when a baby is born. It just A baby brings such life. 
a good friend of ours, um, his mother Joanne passed away a few months ago after battling with cancer. And we were chatting with Joanne's daughter-in-law and she thanked us and she talked about how much joy Joanne had in seeing pictures of Jones. Um, and even as she lay sick with only days left in her life, she was, was smiling. And, and the reality of a baby is that this hope of new life brings a swell within us. We hold on to this joy for a time. Now take that truth, the fact that babies bring joy, and magnify it immensely. It's not just a baby that these shepherds are coming across, but it's an answer to their prayers and the question, how long, O oh Lord? Joy is the response to understanding the Savior. Another incredible aspect of the Christmas story is that the angels bring the news to the shepherds and they tell them this joy is for all people at the end of verse 10. This matters because shepherds are not the highest on the economic totem pole at this point in history. You know, when you come back from camping and you're sweaty and your hair is greasy and you have bad breath and you have this like very earthy feel. So picture that as their whole life and then throw in the fact that all day long they've been attempting to like not step in sheep droppings, which they surely maybe messed up on a little bit. And they may or may not have been in their bare feet at the time. So it might have squished between their toes a little bit. So like these guys kind of smell bad. And these are the shepherds. And shepherds are what we maybe would call like blue collar workers of this day and age. And yet the joy brought to the world was proclaimed first to those that often society is quick to look down on. But this joy was not only for some, the angels proclaimed this joy was for all people. And as much as we can get excited about like, yeah, you know, Jesus cared about those that didn't have the best life. He, he wasn't just focused on that. He said all people. And it's not long before the Magi, the white collar, important types of the day. They're the Nobel Prize winners. They're celebrated authors of their day. And they are before baby Jesus also overcome with the joy before them. Sin affected all people. It does affect all people. And this joy of Jesus was for all people. I love that the angels say this because looking forward, we know that on this side of the resurrection, Jesus died not for just the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. But at the time of Jesus' birth, this would be a crazy statement to make. And yet the angels with great joy and gusto are telling the world, rich and poor, Jew, Gentile, if you smell like sheep manure or the smell of daisies, Jesus, the Son of God, is born today and the Messiah has come for everybody. It's such, such an amazing aspect of this story. So this joy, this joy is for all. But that leads us to the question, how do we find joy? We recognize our own disparity apart from Jesus. Uh, an author, her name's Kelly King, um, and she's a Christian writer, and she wrote, the light and hope of the Advent season lose their impact when we miss the darkness and devastation of our sin. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. In education, they say they like to say to kids, so much about life is your outlook, it's your mind. And we choose joy when we willingly recognize the darkness that permeates who we are as people and allow the truth and light of Jesus to break through that darkness. Joy is the Holy Spirit in us. We must understand the past to appreciate the present. A shout for joy comes once we have realized what we've been rescued from. We read in Romans 3, 22 to 26, 
Paul writes, the righteousness has come for all. Without the bitterness of sin, righteousness would be nowhere near as sweet. So how do we access this joy? How do we let this joy fuel us in our lives? How do we find it? Well, in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We can step into and embrace this joy the more we allow the Holy Spirit to be in us and all of our lives. And on a practical level, to embrace joy, how can we seek out this joy? We need to be where people, maybe maybe they don't have that joy. In fact, mainly they have no earthly reason to have that joy. It's in those places with those people that we see firsthand how the gospel, the good news of Jesus can change that. How the spirit can move in that place. It's not having happiness or, or sadness when we are well off, often our happy times might outweigh our sad times. Maybe not. But someone that seems like they can't, can't find this happiness can still know joy. And it's being in those places with those people that often we can see the Holy Spirit move in such ways. Secondly, we need to know that to find joy, we need to, we need to practice. Rejoicing is a discipline. It does not always feel natural to find joy. In seemingly at times, this is a joyless world. But to know the truth of the gospel and to use it as a lens to view the world, it's a discipline. It takes time and practice to allow joy to seep in and seed in us deeply. It's one of those things where you just need to keep trying and trying and asking, Lord, fill me up more, more of your Holy Spirit. Let me do this again. I will rejoice in you again. That leads us to our second question. How do joy and happiness relate? Now, joy does not equate happiness. Being happy or upset are emotions felt usually based off of situations we as humans find ourselves in. Last Sunday, Jordan was preaching. Right before church, I jump in the shower. The shower's cold. And I was like, what's going on? And I'm like cranking it all the way to the end, trying to get hot water. And I'm like, shoot. For sure, our hot water tank's broken, and my mood is dismal. I'm like, this is terrible. A, I'm having a terribly cold shower, and B, now I have to figure out either I have to find, try to fix this or I have to schedule someone in. And, like, everyone knows that trying to get anyone into your house, A, during COVID, but B, just in general, seems like such a hassle. And so I kind of approach church in this, like, dismal, poor mood. Uh, then after church, you know, I go through church, and it's okay, but I'm a little distracted the whole time. And after church, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go take a look at it. I go downstairs with Xana, and I'm like, you know, kind of looking at it. Xana says, hey, Dad, look, you can turn this knob. I turned it. I'm like, oh, the temperature gauge. Cool. You just, you just turned it all the way down. Super easy fix. Turn it back up. It's all good to go. And suddenly my mood is like, yay, it's all great. <laughs> now, that's not joy. None of that is. You know, I was upset. I was happy. But neither one of those things should have changed the way that my outlook on life was, right? Life wasn't over because there's cold water in the shower. The joy of knowing Jesus is a deep-seated change. It's an outlook, a new understanding of the world that we live in. Not as a great rock of hurt hurtling through space to an unknown ending, but rather as, as a loved creation made by a powerful creator who's already enacted his plan to bring about the end to suffering and anguish. Here we still ask, though, how long, O oh Lord? 
Christmas and the Advent season is such a great picture of this for us as Christians. The holiday season often lifts people's moods long before Christmas Day comes. The very knowledge of coming, uh, this coming break in our regular routine, uh, where we might get to have good food, we see people we love dearly, we put up a Christmas tree, we perhaps exchange some gifts. Uh, it's enough to put an extra hop in many people's steps. And this is happiness. And on the other hand, some may see this season as a trying time, a reminder of the lack of relations in their life as they spend Christmas alone. This is sadness. But the happiness or bitterness of Christmas is short-lived if we don't, if we understand the significance of Christmas, if we miss it. The reason to hold the joyous celebration is Jesus. Jesus is the joy at Christmas. Otherwise, it's a picture of, of happy and sad, of giving gifts and then seeing a credit card bill, right? There's no joy in between. That brings us to our third question, which is what does joy look like? To answer this, we have a lot of great examples. We look to the shepherds, the angels who proclaim the good news and the magi. When the shepherds realize who Jesus is in verse 15, they drop everything to go to him. The joy of Jesus does that. It makes other things in life seem less important. Then they tell people in verse 17, they cannot contain the truth that joy, it's just erupting about Jesus the Messiah. They want to tell everybody. And finally, in, in verse 20, they worship God, they praise and they glorify him. This is what joy looks like. The angels do much of the same. They tell the shepherds, this joy is for all people, immediately breaking out into praise song. They say, glory to God in the highest heaven, as we sang this morning. In Matthew 2, verses 10, we read, the Magi see the star and are overjoyed as they come to Jesus and humbly submit, bowing down and worshiping. And remember, these guys are important, right? They don't really bow very often. They might give a nod to King Herod when they're there, but like he respects them. They're the, you know, they're the intellects. They're the important people. And they get there and they're like, no, like what, what we're seeing before us brings us to our knees. Joy is overwhelming. It changes us. It's a reckless abandonment of what we once perceived the world to be. Joy is humbling. It's the song of thankful praise. It doesn't matter how high we think we are on our horse. When we have joy, we realize there's more to it than that, and we get down. It makes us act irrationally in the eyes of the world. Joy, the truth of Christ, is this joy that makes us love like we've never loved, even though we might be hurt. The world sees that as irrational. You shouldn't love people when you don't get love in return. You shouldn't love when they might not love you back. Or giving. Joy makes us give deeply. The world says, why are you doing that? You don't have enough to give. But joy makes us want to give, even from the little that we have. A more modern example of what joy looks like would be the announcement of the end of World War II. Such a horrendous time of history with so much hurt and so much pain. And finally... It ends, and these people are brought to such joy. They sang songs in the streets, and they danced, and they hugged, and they kissed strangers. It was public, unashamed joy. And imagine if this was our response to the truth of Jesus. The dancing and the singing. Maybe hold back on the kissing for now. It's COVID. But one day, it's, this kind of joy should be our Christmas mornings, recognizing that fact. 
And one day, I imagine when Christ returns, it will be. That brings us to our fourth. Why is joy so important to God? It may be our most important question. God longs for us to feel the joy of relationship that he shares with his son, Jesus. Why does God want us to feel great joy with the arrival of Jesus? Well, he wants us to experience it. It's so easy to fall into routine and duty as we follow God. But the birth of Jesus brings joy. It has nothing to do with, with our, it breaks our routines. It has nothing to do with our duty. It's not just meant to be a relationship of duty with the Lord. It's it's a, a relationship of joy because he delights when we are delighted in him. That brings him great glory. John Piper says, God created you not mainly to do things for him, but to delight in him. The more we enjoy God, the most he is honored and our very purpose in life is fulfilled. Those words ring really true. God created you not mainly to do things for him, but to delight in him. Also, God just knows how much we'll like it. Once joy is established, it's far nicer to see the world in a positive light rather than wallowing in brokenness. So why joy? Because the answer to the question, how long, O Lord? The answer is not long. And in this truth, we find joy. Advent is the season of waiting with great anticipation for the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, when the word became flesh. Joy is the deep-seated truth that Jesus' birth brought about one who alone could save us, because the love of his father was so strong that he would send his son to earth. In this Advent season, I challenge you to consider your own demeanor and whether others see joy in your life. A deep understanding that allows you to look at each moment of each day with the knowledge that Christ has overcome death, conquered sin, and will return again. This truth should change the way we interact and react to the world. And in the meantime, every moment longer here is an opportunity for the joy of the gospel, the good news of a savior to spread. So we need not grunt and groan through life but that rather respond with joy. I'll end with John 16, 33, where we read, take heart. And, and heart, I, I sometimes want to substitute that with joy. Take joy, for he has overcome the world. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.